Last year, my daughter Shelby and I went to Scotland and London with a group from Olivet. It was an incredible experience and a beautiful trip. But and neither of us had ever been like big royal family fans, like where we were, you know, watching all the things that the queen did. But it was really interesting as we walked around the different castles and things, learning about the history of the kings of England and Scotland. And in London, as we toured the Tower of London, we got to watch a clip from the coronation of Queen Elizabeth, the longest reigning monarch in British history, by the way. And when I got home, I was intrigued. And so I watched some more of the coronation ceremony. It's a very um, integrated religious and secular ceremony. If you ever get a chance to watch it, it's very interesting. Uh, well, <laughs> yes, that was, um, it was a little before my time, but I do know. Um, but what was really interesting was the the pageantry and the beauty and ritual in Queen Elizabeth's coronation. It was spectacular and gorgeous. And for royalty, it is expected that things will be perfectly ordered and precise because the king or queen commands the highest honor and receive only the best. They will have significant authority and responsibility They are leaders of the highest order who will serve for a lifetime. And their children and grandchildren and so on will continue the lineage of monarchical rule. But today we read the coronation of sorts of King Jesus. It is at least the first recognition, aside from the angels at his birth, that he is indeed a king. We won't do a point-by-point comparison of his coronation versus the queen's coronation, but suffice it to say, Queen Elizabeth did not process to her coronation on a borrowed donkey colt covered in other people's coats. In fact, even if we were to compare Jesus' coronation to coronations of his day, Caesar, being crowned emperor, would have never... He would have most assuredly had all of the pomp and circumstance available in that time. It's it's almost like Jesus is making a point about what his kingdom will look like. Maybe his kingdom isn't about power and majesty in the ways that we think about them. It doesn't really matter to the Pharisees as they're hearing this happen. As the people are shouting, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. They are freaking out. These are dangerous words. They're dangerous words to them personally. They're dangerous words to everyone in that community because Israel is not her own nation. Israel is not free to have her own king that is not appointed by Caesar. It might be a little hard for us to kind of understand that connection. We don't live in a monarchy or a dictatorship, so sometimes it's a little odd for us to think that Caesar would be worried about the consequences of a little parade in a podunk town somewhere far away in his empire. 
But local leaders in that time were trained to squash any, any insurrection quickly and efficiently. Make no mistake, there were Roman soldiers in that town. There were Roman soldiers there whose only job was to make sure that the empire was safe. Because small insurrections become large-scale rebellions, and large-scale rebellions topple kingdoms. Rome was not about to let that happen. Rome was all about power. And so, to a degree, were the Pharisees. Their power came from the empire. They were given power because they were willing to sort of give over their, their honor and respect to the Roman Empire. And in exchange, the Roman Empire let them worship the way that they did, even though it was opposed to everything Roman and how the Romans did things. So this is about power. Who has it? Who keeps it? And what happens when you live in an oppressive regime is that if you have power, you do not want to give it away. Or you don't want it taken from you. So you make sure that those who might be fomenting something that could take that power are quickly identified. Pharisees aligns very closely with the empire, garnering favor with those who have the power to give them more power. Contracts this with Jesus. As king, his very first responsibility is to die. That isn't powerful at all. In fact, not only is he going to die, he is going to die in the most shameful, horrible, despicable way there is to die in that time and place. In fact, it sort of looks as though, when you watch this story unfold, that everyone but Jesus and his followers is getting what they want. Fake peace with Rome and continuation of the status quo. Later, Christ followers, after the resurrection and the ascension, they would avoid all appearances of bowing to Caesar. All of them. Because they did not follow him. They followed a different king. Meanwhile, Jesus keeps moving toward his responsibility. He keeps doing what he must be doing to save us. He keeps going forward knowing that what follows the worship of today, all the people who are standing out there waving their palms, singing Hosanna, many of them, will desert him. He'll be left in defeat, agony, finally death. He rides the colt today, but he will be betrayed. He's praised today, but he will be mocked. He is hailed as king, but those who shout Hosanna today will cry, 
crucify him on Friday. And he still goes. We read Philippians 2, 5 to 11 this morning. And it tells us that Jesus is king, but not the kind of king we are used to. He gives up his royal status on our account. He lays all of himself on the line for us in a way we could never understand. He gives over all of who he is to serve us. And he does that even though he has all the rights in the world to be called the king of kings. Now, today, Jesus calls us to the same level of pouring ourselves out. The the first part of that passage in Philippians says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And then it tells us what that mindset is. This king doesn't want his subjects to seek power. This king doesn't want us to be pointing out an us versus them. like the Pharisees did, like we still do when we talk about sins we are passionate about, when we see them in other people. (gasps) She's living with someone. (gasps) Oh, look at all those illegals coming towards us. That's scary. When we demonize the other, when we demonize gay people or Muslim people or others who are different than us, when we talk about our political enemies as though they are not people, we say all Democrats lie or all Republicans are haters. But man, do we believe that following Jesus gives us the ability to denounce others while we proclaim Christ? as though we were Jesus ourselves? Jesus comes not to hold power that demonizes the other or diminishes someone else. Jesus says, I am king, let me die. This kingdom is not ruthless and vindictive. It is the upside-down politics of loving others, of giving first, of serving before being served. It is always the kingdom where the king himself gave everything, everything for the subjects he would embrace. And he asks us for nothing but delights when in return our love moves us to do the same. Luke's account of Jesus' coronation as king is one that should give us pause. His followers were all there that day, walking behind him, waving palm branches, shouting Hosanna. They had been with him for three years. They were passionate. They had given up all they had. But pay attention, because today they're behind him, and Thursday they leave him. And still, Jesus dies for them. So as you sing Hosanna this morning, 
As you think about what following Jesus looks like, what it looks like to claim Jesus as your king, I ask you to consider the wonder of a king who looks like Jesus. The wonder of a king who forgives his enemies as he's hanging on a cross, who dies to make us live. And consider with me the places and times where your life may not look like it is part of that kingdom. Where you have denied him or betrayed him by not loving well, by not living well. This week we remember the suffering of Jesus. The heartbreak and sorrow and pain. The death. We have the benefit of looking ahead and past that. But let's not run too quickly past the crucifixion. Because we would do well to remember that Easter does not come without Good Friday. And that Good Friday was hard. Palm Sunday was joyful. But the rest of that week was a series of disappointments for the disciples. Jesus knew what was coming. They were expecting when they crowned him king that he was going to take over and rebel. He, they thought it was going to look like what the Pharisees were afraid of. And in the meantime, Jesus has told them for three years straight that that's not what it's going to be. Jesus goes to die. I pray that all of you are kingdom insiders, that you have lived and breathed and moved inside the kingdom for as long as you can remember. But if you were not, I pray that today you will examine your heart. And as we move to receive our commemoration of that suffering, I pray that you would commit to Jesus once again your very self. Ask forgiveness for where you have missed. Ask guidance and strength to live out your faith. And remember that no matter what you have done, Jesus gave everything he has, everything he is, to be your king. Because he loves you. And he wants you in the kingdom.